introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Hey, 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 it's Christoph Wrights of the Poet Life Podcast. And on tonight, I am super excited to have Joseph Ross on the podcast. You all will understand why. And so we're going to jump right in. Mr. Ross, how are you? I am good, and I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here with me because, <clears throat> you know, you and I have, we haven't even met in person. Nope. Nope. And <laughs> and have been communicating for I don't know how many years now uh, through well, Facebook, just because uh, of our common uh, love for poetry and education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where where do you where yep. do you teach right now? I teach at Gonzaga College High School in Washington D.C. It's my ninth year there, and before that, I was ten years at Archbishop Carroll High School, uh, also on North Capitol Street, just a little further up. Mm -hmm. uh, and a couple of kind of college teaching gigs in between, but um, but those have been the two kind of long haul places, and I expect I'll be at Gonzaga for for a while longer, I hope. And great poetry things at both schools. That is, yeah, so I don't know what made the connection between you and I, like like who our mutual friend was, but I saw you posting um, your poetry classroom. Yeah. And I think I inboxed you or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, I, I may have posted. Uh, we I think we had had an alumni poets gathering, uh, and I think I think that's when you hit me back after that. Yeah, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there and it were there were some great pictures and some you know wonderful kids and um, we we had it all on Zoom this year. But I think that this was our fifth year of the alumni thing, uh, and so we we. Um, you know, in past years, I, I posted pictures of, of past years. What what had happened was um, I began to invite, we have a, a creative writing poetry class uh, in the spring semester. So just started, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And so several years ago for that class, I invited back um, that year, it was just three or four alums to come back and teach the poetry workshop process to the new poetry class. And I'm a slow learner. So at a certain point I realized, wait, I just invited these like five amazing alumni poets to do this thing in the class fourth period. Why aren't they having a reading after school? That's what we should do. Mm. So then we started to do both. Um, so they, so again, these guys, you know, helped out the class uh, this year. It's a er earlier in the day class. And then probably a dozen of them were there after school uh, and I just say, talk about your writing uh, post post high school. Um, some of them are, you know, seriously into poetry still. Some haven't written a poem since they left. Mm -hmm. um, and just talk about all, all that. And so it's that's it's, that's been a really fun thing. And that's just one little piece. The alum, you know, bringing the alums back of the, you know, I guess what I would say like the bigger program. But it's been fun for the older guys to come back. And I think it's kind of fun for the high school seniors to see these guys, many of whom they knew, you know, or, or knew who they were, if they were, you know, they were seniors, obviously, but maybe they were freshmen, they were, they were big athletes or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, that, that's been a, that's been a nice thing. I, I think that was our initial, I think that was our initial connection. Yeah, I think so too. <clears throat> I've, I've always wanted to ask you, uh, 
what were you able to do with them to make them want to come back? Right. Like hmm. I graduated in 2001 of high, you know, from high school and I've never been back. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think some schools and I don't, I don't, I don't want to criticize or praise any, you know, anything too much, but I mean, some schools do a better job of uh, really helping their students love the, love the place. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I think you could at Gonzaga, for example, you know, you could go through the, there, there are kids who don't love it you know, and who are never going to love it. And that's oh. their path. That's their life. That's what's come together in their way of taking the world in and all of that. And there are some people that, you know, really want to throw themselves into things mm. that, that a good, a great thing about Gonzaga that is kind of part of the, it's like, it's in the bricks is the adults that the adults mm. there encourage these guys even to get into things that they mm. might be unusual. So for example, um, our head football coach and our head basketball coach are endlessly recruiting poets, you know, and yeah, I, I'm, I make I, I do not make this. About? I what's couldn't make this. Connection? They they want their guys to be involved in things that are different. They want them to express themselves. They want them to feel the full circle of artistic expression. Um, and so they structure in, you know, like a, a, after the last period of the day before any practice begins. And this is all pre-COVID, but mm -hmm. I do think we'll get back to it soon enough. I hope um, they factor in, you know, a forty-five minute period where these guys can go, they can go to clubs or they, or they have to, they have to be either be at a club meeting or they got to be in a study hall. So some of them would like to be, you know, they just, they, you know, how kids clump together, they will just four or five of them all of a sudden. And now we have this kind of ongoing thing of the football players and the basketball players are often, they're not the only ones in the poetry club, but they're a, they're the leadership. Uh, they're the heart and soul of it really. Right. Um, and they make it, you know, I, I, I wish high schools weren't like this, but, you know, they make it cool. They make it, um, this isn't a bunch of, you know, people on the edge or something. Right. And the, and the school has welcomed poetry into all kinds of places, you know, um, sure. as a whole school, I think, for example, the, the place where I kind of really cracked it in was insisting that at the Black History Month assembly, we got to have some students reading poems. I mean, how do you not do that? So that became kind of like the first place that, that, uh, you know, the whole school at once saw, saw this kind of amazing thing. Sure. Um, a couple of years later, uh, every, every issue of the school newspaper, they've asked the club to have a poem in it. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. you just sort of slowly build that stuff. You know, I joke, you know, once we have a poem at every graduation, my takeover will be complete. <laughs> so it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's working those, th those things in. And then the, the poets respond to and offer things. So for example, a few years ago, we had, well, we still have this amazing history teacher who did this research with maybe 10 of our students at the Georgetown archives about Gonzaga's history with slavery mm. and discovered names and people and who had worked at Gonzaga as enslaved people. One of them was a young man named Gabriel. This was from a, a financial record. Uh, he worked in the garden. And, you know, it, it sort of stunned us. It shouldn't have, but it stunned us when all of a sudden we had a name mm. and the poets could not shake that. You know, so we they were talking about it and writing about it. And pretty soon 
I said, we got to put, we put together a chapbook of poems called Garden, Gonzaga Poets Respond to the Slavery Research Project. Next week, we have another uh, chapbook coming out uh, called Who is Really Free? Gonzaga Poets Respond uh, to America's Call for Racial Justice. So got, you know, poets watching everything they watched last summer, you know, our, the right. high school students, they're not blind. They see At America. All. They see it all and they felt the need to write about it. And, I, you know, so what I always say to, you know, other groups of adults or something is to say, what's amazing about these guys is that they are, they're looking at the world around them and they are, they are filtering it through their art, which is poetry, which is, I, I don't, that's the highest thing we could ask of them. You sure. know, I, I just think that's magnificent. Um. I also the other thing that I really love about our poetry program is that um, we have a we have a service project too ourselves. We have a wonderful relationship mm -hmm. with Bishop Walker School, mm -hmm. a little um, tuition free school uh, for boys r over on Congress Heights, run by the Episcopal Church. And we've gone over there. We have a nice relationship with their fifth grade. We go over there and do poetry workshops for them. Twice they've come over to Gonzaga. You know, they'll do a couple of different poetry events in my classroom during the day. Some of them will go out on the field and play football. Some of them will go in the gym and go nuts playing basketball. Right, right. And, you know, so so that our guys also see this isn't just about you and, you know, you writing your poems. This is also about you helping little ones come to some of the same self-discoveries that you're coming to as a, as a much more mature person. Mm. Um, so I think you always got to be you know, reaching out like that. It can't just be sort of self-enclosed. So it sounds like to me, through <clears throat> poetry, the students are becoming well-rounded. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a result. I mean, just think about what you said about the coaches. They right. want them to be involved in poetry and other things because yeah. it, it sounds like it makes them more well-rounded, but also open-minded. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the coaches are thinking, you know, way down the, the road all the time, right. um, thinking, well, also, if this kid is on the bubble for a scholarship or on the bubble for getting into or not getting into a school, and they see that this linebacker also was the MC at his school's poetry slams, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, that's a more interesting kid, isn't it? Exactly. You know? That's, That's the kind of good. kid you want in your classrooms and in your locker room and on your team and talking to the other players. I mean, that's so, yeah. Um, and not afraid to say that he writes poetry. Not a one. Not a one. That's huge. I'm, yeah. For high schoolers. Yeah. That's a huge, yeah. that's huge for adults. Right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I've, I've, I think is part of the reason for that. And this is, I was saying this to you before the, the, the show began when I was at Carroll, you know, we would sometimes do different kinds of events for other high schools and, uh, and um, teach other teachers at other high schools used to ask me, how do you get the boys to do this? You know, like, how do you mm -hmm. get the guys in this? Uh, and my, my, I, I don't know what I said at the moment, but my thought afterward is that, uh, it is easier for African-American boys, I think, because it is so much a part of, th of the larger African-American culture. Poetry has never been seen exclusively as a feminine thing or a women's mm. domain. Um, there are magnificent black women poets, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are always going to be. And we saw one um, at, the, at the inauguration just yesterday. Yes. Um, 
but poetry has not been looked on like, well, that's a, you know, a thing for wimpy people, you know, something like it just hasn't been looked. We haven't had that. Black people have not had that obstacle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, because I think at Gonzaga, for example, which is not a predominantly black school, mm. um, teachers or others will always ask me, you know, why it, it, it's wonderful, but like, you know, why is, why are so many African-American kids attracted to the poetry stuff? And I think that's part of it. Uh, part of it is I also I also teach American literature to juniors. And so that becomes kind of a nice drawing ground. You know, they first they're discovering um, Gwendolyn Brooks and Langston Hughes and Claude McKay and James Baldwin. And, you know, they're I'm, I'm pushing that stuff in class hard mm. and um, it can kind of encourage them to. I can try, I could try this. That Langston mm -hmm. Hughes poems only 10 lines long. <laughs> right. You know, they might think I can do that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I think um, it has, it has, it has been an interesting thing in terms of the African-American students. And then also it becomes this predominantly African-American club that really teaches the smaller number of white kids mm. a whole lot. Uh, I, I sometimes think the white kids in the poetry club, should have their tuition raised because they're getting, they're getting <laughs> another whole level of education here that the other kids are not getting Cultural because they really, they really have to listen to their peers of color. Sure. Uh, and other, unless yeah. you have, yeah, yes. that's important. That's huge. Yeah. Because it is self-expression. Yeah. And, and as a listener, as a peer, you have to have thick skin, especially, if you're a white person in the room full of black poets. Yep. Because it is the African-Americans opportunity to express all of what we have been harboring. And for some white kids that can be really uncomfortable and it can make them defensive. It can make them angry. Sometimes it can make them all kinds of things. Um, but, the thing that has that does happen is that they have to they have to hear it, they have to listen, and so, you know, I, I mean, I can account, I can tell you two quick stories. One, mm. our first meet, meeting after uh, after this past summer, you know, of all the demonstrations, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many others, you know, um, and then the poems, of course, in the first couple of we meet every Thursday at three o'clock, and usually what we do is just workshop a couple of poems. Um, sometimes we do other things, but. Um, you know, all the, the poems for the first couple of weeks were all these, you know, poems about police violence. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, pretty soon we're having a discussion of a white kid just saying, like, I just this has never been my experience. I just never knew this. And, you know, the black kids, some, you know, they might roll their eyes or where you've been, you mm -hmm. know, but but at least they're talking about it. And then pretty soon you have a white kid saying, I want to write a poem about this, too. And I always say, I think you should, you know, I mean, uh, do not be afraid of that. This is, this is, it's all our history. Um, and one other little, little example, I just, I, I really like the, these two stories. Uh, I'm just so glad I teach American lit. I don't know what else I could do if I had to teach something else. <laughs> but uh, I'll never forget this. Keyshawn, my first year at, at Gonzaga, Keyshawn Alexander, a junior, big kid, kind of angry most of the time seemed to me. Um, and uh, we're reading uh, Frederick Douglass's speech, What to the Slave is the 4th of July. Mm. And kids are packing up and, you know, heading out of the room. And he's just sitting at his desk 
And I looked over and I, uh, I thought he was going to cry. I, I didn't know what was happening. I said, Keyshawn, you're doing all right? He looked up and he said, I've just never seen words do this before. Wow. Now, and Douglas will do that. You know, I mean, he, he can do that. Um, and as recently as this year, uh, a white kid, we're reading the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, a particularly horrible uh, section about essentially watching his grandmother being sent off to starve to death. Um, and again, the kids pack up, you know, they're packing up, they're walking out Quinn, uh, this, you know, kind of quiet white kid, uh, he's still at his desk. He kind of looks up at me and he just says, it was that bad, wasn't it? You know, so you have these little moments because of good writing, whether Douglas's or Langston Hughes or their, or their own, um, that kind of pierces something and all of a sudden they feel something and they understand it in a new way and think I can express myself like this. And I think even, even better, they can think, and I need to express myself like this. Right. Both, both black students saying it about various injustices and white students. I need to speak up about this. So this is not always the black person's uh, job to have to speak, have to carry this. Right. I, I, I need to speak this too. So right. Um carry and and educate. Yes. That's a lot. Yeah. Having to have to have to carry it, but also then educate those who are on the side of uh the creation of it, I guess. Yeah. It, the, for lack the people of who've, who've been who have who have benefited from it. Yes, benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, let me ask you. So you've been um, at this school at Gonzaga for ten years. This is my ninth. Yeah, ninth year, nine yeah. nine years. But prior to that, you were at Carroll for for ten. Yeah. Ten, and at both schools, you started this poetry program. Easiest okay. thing I've done. <laughs> wow. So, all right. Where does poetry come in for you? Or where and when? Well, I am a poet. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think this, you know, how, how it came about is probably as boring as anybody else's biography. I mean, I wrote a lot of bad poetry in college. But I loved literature. I loved reading. Uh, you know, I was an English major, and then when I went to I went to graduate school, and that's when I really began to take writing poetry a little more seriously. Um, I didn't go the MFA route, you know, like m many poets do, uh, because I knew I wanted to teach, and I mostly wanted to teach high school. I taught uh, like introductory uh, comp, comp classes in uh, both at American University and at, at Notre Dame when I was in graduate school there. Um, but began take so began taking my own writing seriously, um, and then my uh, when I moved to I moved to DC in 2000 um, with the per particular purpose of starting a writing center at Archbishop Carroll High School. That's what they they wanted me to do. So the the purpose of the well the purpose of the of the writing center was to do to bo both things: one to help students improve their academic writing, and the other to really shine a light on their creative writing. And so doing both those things. So I, um, I think 2012, I've published my first book of poems, uh, second book the very next year, because the first one took forever to get published, seemed like. Mm -hmm. uh, my fourth book uh, just came out in September, and it's a book of poems all about Dr. King. It's called Raising King. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been 
you know, the per, for my my personal writing, that's kind of and I can can I just give you a show you a little bit of the cover. Um, so that's it's a, your, that's your book. Yes, this is my my most recent Raising King. Yeah. Wow. So I so I believe in poetry. I mean, I know what it does in my life. I know what it's done in others' lives. I I know the life of the. I know the frustration of not being able to write it very well, or I know the good luck of hitting it out of the park or slam dunking it when you feel like you really did get it right. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, it's fun to help young people do that too, or give, right. give, it, give it, give it their best shot. Sure. Sure. I believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. You see, in order to teach it and live in it, you have to believe it. I think that's right. Yeah. You know, cause because those who you teach will be able to see through all of it if it's not genuine. Yeah, I I, I think that's true. I, I hope that that's well, I know it's true that they see your BS. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. no, you know, there's no more transparent place than the high school classroom. You know, uh, they see <laughs> everything and they get you figured out pretty fast, I think. Right. And, you know, and, and I'm no genius and I'm no. Uh, you know, perfectly consistent person or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, I care deeply that they have a chance to try this. I also care deeply that they take it seriously. Um, and I, I push for them, for example, that, you know, if you're going to be a writer of poetry, you've got to be a reader of poetry. Sure. You have, you have to know what people have done before you mm. or else you're, you're, or else you're just playing, you know, and, yeah, and you can play if you that. want. I keep That's hearing a way to be a poet too. To 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 be one of the greats, or to just be great, you have to study the craft. Yeah, yeah. You have to know what people have done before you. You've got to know what kind of a tradition you're in. You know, because you're make the minute you begin to write words or create a line, you're making choices. So mm -hmm. what went into your ability to make those choices? You know, mm -hmm. why did you? Why are you choosing not to use punctuation? Why are you choosing not to? capitalize anything. Uh, you're not the first person to do that. There was the right. whole Black Arts movement. They thought that was cool 40 years ago. You can write, you can do it that way too, if you want to, but you should know why you're doing it. Um, and yeah, and just to kind of see what other people have done uh, because none of us operates in a vacuum. You know, we're, we're all part of, we're all part of this bigger thing. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Let me ask you about your consciousness, man. Now, what, what, where were you raised, um, right? Where were you raised and where do you get this sense of, of awareness? Uh, I, was, I was raised outside of Los Angeles, uh, Pomona, California. Uh, okay. Kind of a suburb, but not, not, it certainly wasn't fancy. Uh, about 20 miles, 25 miles east of downtown LA. Uh, pretty diverse town. Uh, I went to, I went to, public school for, uh, for grade school and then to Catholic high school and then to a, a Jesuit college in LA. Um, but I think the, I, I always hand it back to my parents. My, my father uh, was, um, uh, he was a laborer and he was an organizer for the, for the, the United uh, U.S. steel workers, an organizer for the union. And he always raised us to try to look at the world from the bottom up. Um, everything, mm decisions, politics, all had to be determined by what they did for people who, who needed the most. And that, you know, that's not radical really, except 
in the self, the most selfish America, you know, that's really not terribly radical, but um, that's how we were raised. Uh, that's what I was always, I just, I always thought. Um, and so I don't know. I, and I'm not sure that I'm particularly more aware or something. I've certainly felt, um, you know, you get so much back from working with young people. I mean, oh, man. Um, you know, they, they, they feed you in lots of ways that are very gracious and kind and sustaining. And, um, and, and yet, you know, as a, I'm, I'm old enough too to know that, you know, they're here for a very short period of time with me, at least, you know, they're here for a very short period of time, uh, which to me means um, they're, I need to make sure they have every chance to do this that they can mm. uh, because they're going to go on and who knows what, what's going to happen. And like I was talking about some of the alums, they may never write in their poem again and that's okay. I mean, their life will go on the way it will go on. But yeah, I always go back to my, my father primarily, but my, and my, and I was very fortunate, you know, this is back in the sixties and seventies when you could be a laborer and my mother could stay at home and he could own a house and they could raise us, you know, and we didn't lack for anything. Mm. Um, you know, and he went to, he didn't, he graduated high school, but that was all. So, you know, I don't know that that is ever going to be possible in America again, you know, mm. uh, that we were raised in a house where my mom could stay home and, you know, and wanted to, and all, right. and not just, you know, people's choices are, are their choices. Sure. I don't think that's even possible to do today, even if somebody wanted to. Yeah. 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 So the classroom, right? You, yeah. you said a large number are African-American. In the poetry club. Yeah. In the poetry yeah. club. Yep. So how were you able to make the connection? For many, I think it starts with the American literature class, you know, like they, okay there that might be the first time they've ever read a black author you know mm. um and it might be the only time you know maybe they've ever seen someone who looks like me mm -hmm. uh praise these authors or act like you know I'm, I'm not being dragged kicking and screaming to you know to teach these these authors some of it is the coaches encouragement too i, I like i say i was really praised those too because um I know, I know that that helps, you know, I mean, and to be fair, there's also a, like even in the, the creative writing poetry class now that is a class of seniors, there's this little, there's this little cluster of lacrosse poets, you know, <laughs> a couple of, and, and we hadn't had any lacrosse kids in the class for, a, for a few years, but four or five years ago, there were like three or four lacrosse kids in this class who were all kind of big recruits, you know, going to colleges for lacrosse and, I'm like, you didn't expect to be winning poetry awards your senior year, did you? You know, and they just laugh like, who is this fool? But, but they did, you know, like they were, it was just kind of amazing. So, so I, but I, I, I think the pull in for some of the African-American kids often is the American lit class. And then the, and then, it, you know, it does just build. I mean, you know, when people know that that's been um, a safe place, I hope even a place where they can thrive in some ways that, that, that gets out, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but I, I also think this is true. Um, you know, so Carol is a, in some ways, a very different school than Gonzaga. Carol is 
almost all black as the 10 years I was there. I don't think we ever, we might've had two or three white kids in 10 years, Right. a, a bit of a growing uh, Latinx population, but primarily an African-American school. And it felt that way. And it, and it was also an African-American faculty, which was, which was in some ways the best thing. Um, sure. But I think that when black students at Gonzaga hear me say, I taught at Carroll for 10 years and I loved it. Mm. That's big. That's big credibility, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, in some ways I don't, I don't deserve that. And they don't know that I should deserve, you know, they don't know, or, you know, they may grant that to me just out of grace, you know, not oh, like right. I haven't proven anything yet. Right. Um, but I do, I, I think that's probably true because people, you know, people in this area, as you know, they know what the popular student population probably looks like at various schools you could mention, you know, um, and so when you say, well, I was at Carroll for 10 years and you talk about how much you loved it or, you know, whatever it was, um, they know what that means. Right. Uh, you know, it means they'll be taken seriously and that there'll be a chance to thrive here possibly. And, you know, whether or not all that, you know, explicitly gets formed in their head or not, I don't know, but I hope that it's at least a, a hunch. And then, you know, reputation at a high school reputation is everything, you know, so yes, that, that's okay. Yeah. 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 Um, have you had any, um, uh, initial, uh, conflicts, right? Um, uh, I, I would imagine, you know, it's high school. Um, yeah. and I, cause with, within, cause I, I used to teach, um, I used to substitute teach at Bishop McNamara. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, substitute, you it's know, job. right. Right. Really so, so I had to go in with a disclaimer. I said, all right, you know, I understand I'm the substitute teacher. I remember when I was in high school and what we did to the substitute teacher. I'm just I'm just listen, don't 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 do that to yourself. You'll have those testers, you know, of course. Uh, those students that, that want to test and um, throw out the first joke. And um, I was able to throw one back and uh, <laughs> and then we're all and then we're all cool. You know, yeah. like, OK, all right, Mr. Jenkins. OK, you're good. Right. You're good. <laughs> right. So so did you have to do any of that, you know, to uh, to gain their trust? Probably a, a, a little bit. And some of it I might not even have realized was going on. The, at, at, I mean, the, the culture at Gonzaga these days is not it's. Like there isn't, you know, what they call classroom management or something. There are not problems like that mostly. Um, you know, if you're fair, if you're clear, I've also been doing this for a minute, you know, like Got this it. is, you know, 30 some years of teaching. So, wow. you know, I, I, I know what works. I know what doesn't work. Uh, I have a very simplified kind of classroom desire or a, the classes are designed very simply. I don't have a bunch of crazy stuff. So I don't waste their time. You know, and I think they see, I hope they, I think they know that. Um, I mean, to me, the, the bigger difficulty is, uh, you know, when there is a, when there is a white student who has really only been able to live around privilege and has never really had that pressed uh, to mm -hmm. look at himself carefully, that can come out defensively and ugly sometimes. Okay. And okay. in the classroom, that's not always, you know, that's a, that create, then that requires some dancing on the part of the teacher to. Right. You want that kid to say what he wants to say, because I want him to learn. 
I want him to also see how what he says affects these two kids over here. And I want him to listen to them. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it just, those are, those are difficult things. You know, I often will say, you know, you, if somebody has had a, you know, thinks that, you know, Langston Hughes is saying too much or, or we read uh, with the juniors, we read ta Coates uh, Between the World and Me, which is a very piercing assessment of race in America. It's a hugely important thing for white people to read. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, if we really get to the end, I kind of say, you know, I, you don't have to agree with them, but you do have to understand him. You yeah. Know, you have to know what he's saying. And, you know, once you, when you leave the room, I mean, you're going to think whatever you want to think. Um, so I guess that's kind of a long answer or a long sort of answer. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I'm in the position now where I don't really have to prove myself, I think. Um, thankfully, I guess. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the, but getting you know students to hear different things is like any of us it's hard, you know it's hard it's hard to expand our own world view can i give you just one other little example um yeah the first class after the assault on the capitol last or two weeks ago mm. was our first discussion of um a couple of poems by walt whitman and um you know, so we talked, we didn't, I, I didn't, we didn't talk about the, the capital thing at all at the beginning of class. And we dove into Whitman who has this, you know, huge arms wide open view of America. America is everybody. It's the round table where there's always room for one more. And it's especially people who work with their hands and it's especially the runaway slave and the native America. It's all these groups who have been on the edges. Um, and so at the end of class, it just kind of worked to say, you know, well, so what are you seeing here in these first couple of poems about Whitman's view of America? What he, I hear America singing, that's it, one of his poems. What is the, what is his vision here of America? And they say it inclusive and diverse and big and welcoming and kind and gracious and joyful. And then I just said, and, and what do you think was the vision of America from those folks who took over the Capitol yesterday? Mm. And so you got to choose y'all, <laughs> you know, like what kind of America do you want? They want this very small, ugly, limited view of America that probably benefits a very small number of people. And the fact is that is not our tradition. Uh, here is this poet who is at the very center of American literature, who is saying all kinds of other things that America is this needs to be this big, broad place, you know, and then you get a, a smart kid will say, well, is Whitman saying that's the way it is, or that's the way it should be. Mm. I said, you know, that's a great question. I mean, clearly he's not saying I, what it is. It wasn't that, I mean, he, he lived during the civil war. Right. You know, like, that was not the America he saw. It was the America he wanted though. He and that's what we have to do. Yeah. Um, so those discussions can get a, a little tight sometimes, you know, when people are like any of us are confronted with something that might feel sort of threatening. Um, we haven't, we don't, haven't known before. Uh, but, you know, when people really listen to each other, I mean, the, you know, what's the biblical image, the, uh, the scales just fall off your eyes right. and you're right. just like, wow. When I think about that kid, you know, after that section in, um, in Douglas's narrative saying it was that bad, wasn't it? Um, you know, and I mean, historically, I, there probably is a whole lot more I should have said right then, but I mean, 
he was he was processing that on an emotional level, which is the way poetry and good writing gets into you, I think. Um, you know, essays go in here, but they can they can go in here a little bit too if they're really good. Poetry right. almost always it kind of begins with the heart or the gut. Right. Right. And, and it can filter its its way up, I think. Yeah, yeah. And a, a good reader of poet reader of poetry can see then great intellect and craft and oh my goodness, there's amazing layers in this poem or something like that, you know. Sure. That student that asked that question, how was his poetry after that? Uh it's good. Uh, it's at least brave. Uh he he is not, he doesn't, he's not the strongest poet in terms of like really crisp details and all of that. Sure. But he's a white kid who's not afraid to read a poem about uh, Black Lives Matter. You know, mm -hmm. like he's not afraid to do that. Um, it has, you know, I don't think he's going to be going into an MFA program or publishing a book at any point, although, you know, who knows? Um, so I just said the one dumb thing about a, he'll win the Nobel Prize now, right? And, <laughs> in but you know, you, you know, uh, poetry is like some relationships sometimes, you know, some relationships weren't meant to last forever. Yeah. Right. And right. So he's, He's probably not meant to be a, a lifelong poet, but what poetry has been to him and what it's done for him as far as his mindset. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And place him on a path somewhat like yours. Yeah. Right. And, and, and is able to see things from different perspectives that that is what poetry was supposed to do for him. Yeah, exactly right. He may he may come back to Gonzaga in a hundred years and take my place, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Or he, you know, I, I also think um, there was another kid, sort sort of sort of like him, who a, a white kid who um, really developed this openness to the other black students and to really listening to them and you know hearing them talk about the talk and that kind of thing. You know, when you you know when the, when we're discussing all the stuff about. The, about police violence and just like look at these guys and saying that has that is so far away from my living room i can't even tell you um you know and it's so important for him to hear to to know that um it doesn't do the black kids any good and i and sometimes tell them it's not your job to teach these kids it's that's my job but they of course they do you know right. they do they're used um, to it yeah, they are. That's right. But, but you know, I'm all also very careful. And one of the things I am very strict about in the classroom is about that. Um, you know, that uh, if there's a class maybe where there's just, you know, maybe 25 kids and there's two kids of color, which is sort of like the worst thing you can imagine as a teacher. For me, at least that's really tough. Um, you know, you can't let the white kids turn to the black kid during, you know, to speak for his race or something, you know, like you just, as a, as the teacher, you have to stop that and you have to explain why that's not okay. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. just have to. So again, like I was saying, you know, way back, it comes back to the adults. Uh, you know, they're just, you can't let that, you can't do that. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I attended a, a predominantly uh, white high school. Hmm. And so you know what some of that's like. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. on a, I was on the school newspaper. Mm. And I was the only black kid on the school newspaper. <clears throat> so February, everybody <laughs> turned it. Yeah. Um, I already you know. know. 
February, everybody. All right, so what are we writing about, Chris? Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> look, I don't know what we write. <laughs> you right. know, and so um, so but I, the adult I, shouldn't I, have let that happen, or the adult should have said, "Time out now. Look what just happened." <laughs> Well, the adults asked me the same question. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it was it was interesting. And I, I wanted to write about sports. I wanted to be a sports writer, you know. Yeah. yeah. I ended up being the uh, editor in February, you know. <laughs> so, right. So, right. Um, um, but that's good. That is that is very good on both sides of the spectrum because black kids also need to realize that it is not and this is bold but it's not white kids fault it is not their fault yeah. but it is their responsibility it is the white person's responsibility to to open their mind and learn right not right right when when you're the white kid listening to that black kid talk about being talked to by his father about what to do when he's pulled over, if he's pulled over by police, it's not your fault that the scales are falling off your eyes and you're hearing it, you're learning at that moment. But six months later, if you're not thinking about the issues any differently, then I think that is your fault. There you go. Yeah. There and you maybe go. responsibility is a better word, but, but it's your fault too. You know yes. I mean? It's yeah. like, what, you it, know, is. it is yeah. once you get the information. Right. Right. You can, you know, you can retreat back into your privilege and into your comfort where it doesn't bother you. Um, and that's the pro that is the problem. And then and then you're complicit. Right. That's exactly right. And I think there is a kind of complicity uh, even before that. And maybe complicity isn't quite the right word for before. Um, what I you know, often say is, right, your people didn't own slaves, but you benefit from this system. You know, and so that, like, for example, the I was telling you about the slavery research project that some of our students did and discovering this young man, Gabriel, they, they later discovered the other names of, of some others, too. Mm -hmm. um, but at the front of my classroom, we have a, I have a blown up, you know, print of that uh, accounting ledger that has his name in it and that he was working in the garden. And, and I tell them, you know, like, I want you to you know, look at this. This is why this is in the front of the room, because we got to remember this school that we love, that's partly why, it, that's partly how it got here because of people like that young man. Um, and so we benefit, we benefit from what other people did to him. Uh, and that's very important to know so that it changes your behavior. So who at your school is bold enough to allow this teaching to take place? Because it's uh, rare, it's rare. Let's be yeah, honest. I, 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 I always hope that's not true, but I, I suspect it is. Um, well, you know, Gonzaga is a Catholic school, but within the Catholic school world, it's a Jesuit school. So it's run by these group of priests called the Society of Jesus. And you know, they've been around for hundreds of years. And my sense of their, the culture that they build in their schools is that they are not afraid of the questions. And so they're, they have just created this culture, I think, in lots of their schools high schools and universities um, that that push the edges a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think we have good leadership. We, we also just um, last year for the first time, full time, have a diversity, have an assistant dean for diversity and inclusion. 
who is a, a black alum from the school, uh, and he does a, a, a real amazing work. Um, he and he he really he runs the school's Onyx Pro uh, Club, the kind of the black student union essentially, uh, and I try to assist with that. It's really his, but I try to kind of hang around when I can. So, um, and uh, yeah, it's just when I went from Carroll to Gonzaga, I wondered, you know, like, I mean, you know, and Carroll is 99% African-American and I kind of loved that atmosphere actually at uh, Gonzaga. I thought, I wonder if the black kids are going to, are they going to be on the edge? Are they going to, be the ones who don't like the school? Are they getting like, what's it? I, want, I just wonder. And when I got there, what I learned very quickly was they own the place. I mean, they're just, they are the kinds of kids for whatever reason. And the way the school has embraced them that they just believe in it. They love it. They fully embrace it. Um, they are on the edge of nothing. You know, mm -hmm. they are at the heart of things. And um, that isn't to say that, that there aren't problems and there, sure. there are, because of course there sure. are. Um, there's also a kind of a, and maybe this is kind of paralyzing sometimes, but <clears throat> it's a little bit of a, a culture of too much politeness, like too, almost too nice, you know, so that, you know, like I sometimes say to other teachers, you know, they'll say they had some, a, 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 a Trump student or, you know, a student very much taken by Trump, like kind of blast off in their class or something. And I'm just like, nothing. I got nothing. Like nobody says anything like that in my classroom. Have, mm -hmm. Am I just silencing them, you know, like, or, like, or what? Like, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't. Um, I think you have a, you may have a better handle on it. And you, the, the students may not have to outburst like that because you, you, you've created an environment where you can simply just talk. Well, I, I hope you're right. That's uh, that would make me sound smarter than I feel. But uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't see I don't see the clashes. Uh, and, and I you do hear occasionally from other people or um, <clears throat> the 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 man who is our diversity uh, dean used to be kind of a discipline dean. And, you know, he would occasionally tell me, oh, we got this kind of case. And then I'm just like, you're kidding. Like, man, I never knew we had these big problems. <laughs> like it's in my little world there, it's, we, I just don't see that stuff. And English is in its own building kind of over on one end of campus. So, you know, I can go through my day and not see. Uh, well, what, what are those other subjects <clears throat> where that happens? Yeah, is maybe in history classes or social like, studies classes. Okay. Could be in those. Um, I mean, there, there, you know, the other area of challenge for a place like Gonzaga, I think it's a much harder place for a woman to be a teacher. Uh, she has to prove herself in ways that I don't, I'm quite sure I don't. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are women teachers there who are plenty smarter and all kinds of things more than I, but they, they don't get the benefit of the doubt, you know, uh, that I, I suspect as a, as all a male. Boys school. See, at an all boys school, right. They just don't get the benefit of the doubt that I get uh, that, you know, that this guy might actually know something. Yeah. 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 I, I think um, just male students take better to male teachers a lot of times. Yeah. Nothing is absolute, but I think, I think there's yeah. some, there's some truth to that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm also not 24. You know, I think it's, 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 it's not, it's not, 
I wasn't all, I, I didn't always, I feel like I know what I'm doing these days most of the time. Right. I didn't always know what I was doing. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. And maybe yeah. I still don't, but I, it is, a, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. It sounds like you, you know what you're doing, man. And it sounds like <clears> you, <throat> we were talking about before we pushed the live button, the record button, uh, we were talking about purpose. Yeah. Right. Do you feel like you're you're walking in your purpose? Yeah. Yeah. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I, I don't have any doubt about that. Yeah. Um, some of that, I <clears throat> if I look back and I'm, <clears throat> pardon me, might almost feel like process of elimination or something, you know, like, I mean, I couldn't pass a college math class if my life depended on it. You know, I couldn't pass a high school math class probably today. Um but I, I loved to read. And I, as I said, I, you know, began writing poetry and <clears throat> I realized what, uh, that both reading it and writing it, uh, made me better. It made me more human. It made me bigger. It made me, um, you know, more aware of things and of other people. And, um, so, you know, to, to, to meet young people, to be able to spend my day <laughs> with young people talking about American literature or talking about their own writing, I mean, you know, people make the joke, I'm living the dream, but Christoph, I'm living the dream. <laughs> like, you know, you couldn't pay me to do something else. I mean, I don't, what, what else, what else would I do that would be fun? I, you know, I can't, I wish I could, I'm not LeBron James, but I might swap his life if I could play. You know, right. but I mean, I, right. I'm doing exactly what I want. Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, the purpose has, you know, it's taken a while for that to become quite as clear as it is to me today. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, I think I always knew teaching, I, I, you know, I really just love teaching English. I think the English classroom um, can be a really transformative place. People change in there because yeah. of things they've read and their and things that they write and that happened to me and it both as a student and it still happens to me as a teacher so that's a that's a that's a fun dynamic to be in uh and these days i can't think of anything more important to be doing than to, to be teaching uh, american literature uh these days what is what is the english class to you right what 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 is what is that to you? What does that sound like? What does that look like to you? It's a place where students meet uh, writers who have tried to make sense of their world through beauty mm. by writing a beautiful story or a beautiful essay or a beautiful poem, and slowly over the course of a year, maybe an academic year, from you know reading. Puritan poets and the, you know, Columbus's first letters back to the King and Queen of Spain, all the way to reading, um, you know, Langston Hughes and uh, Lucille Clifton and Martina Spada, you know, living writers at the end of the year, they see this string or this great chorus of American writers who have done, who, who looked at their world and made some sense out of it through a through through beauty through an art form uh and that changes us it changes us to be in the middle of that you know um because all of a sudden a phrase in a certain poem or a character in a story or you know certainly i i, I said you know douglas will do that i mean reading frederick douglas 
I mean, he turns kids upside down, you know, and it's because of the power of his writing. Um, you know, some of it, like, and it's his story, but he's, his writing is how we see how we get his story. Right. So yeah, it's a place to meet those people and that changes you. So for, for students, I really believe it, it's on the shoulders of the teacher, right? Because, yeah. because <clears throat> the reason I asked that about English, the English class, I just can remember back to English class and it was just about the, the, the technical format of the writing and mm -hmm. punctuation. And it wasn't like you're describing it. It's not, it mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, bringing it to life. None of that. It was mm -hmm. write this paper and write it like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't we we haven't done our profession <laughs> any favors. We haven't done young people favors when that's what we do. Yeah. The comma is not as important as the heartbeat of this essay. You know, like what are you saying? What do you want me to believe after this? You know, like that's the key. We can work on commas, but I mean the most important thing is um what are you saying? What What do you want me to think after this? What are you trying to say? And if you if you can't make that clear, wherever the hell the commas are or aren't, is it's not right. going to make any difference, you know. And so I I think it's all things you know. It's like knowing how to. It's not balance, but it's it's it is it is proportion, you know. Mm. Uh, commas are I, I don't mean to pick on commas, but you know, they're important little things. Sure, uh, but they're little things, you know. But whether an essay says something or not, not a little thing. <laughs> That's the heart of the matter. Uh, so you can't, you know, in a in a <clears throat> seventy minute class, you can't spend sixty five minutes on commas on the little things. You got to spend big time on the big things and a little time on the little things. But see, that's why your students come back. Mm. You see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm now yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm painting <clears throat> a picture for you. Hmm. Yeah, you are. This is why I haven't been back, but hmm. this is why your alum have come back to share the life that they've gone on to live with the students that have come after them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And said, look, look, this is what Mr. Ross has, has done for me because of the way he talked hmm. and the way he lived and listened. Well, you know what I loved uh, at the in the the after school thing of the alumni poets thing a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there were there were a bunch of you know other people, and there were a number of teachers and administrators who were there too, which I, I was happy to see. Uh, they somebody asked them, uh, "Who's a writer who's really influenced you?" And probably three or four. Let's see. I mean, I mean it was probably about there were more students of color among the alums than there were. Uh, white kids. So, but, but, you know, from a, Langston Hughes, Gwendolyn Brooks, James Baldwin, I mean, they just named these black writers. And it was, that to me was the confirmation that like that, and what I was so thrilled was that, you know, like at a time when we're discussing curriculum and what are the books going to be for in the next five years or whatever it is, 
you very rarely get evidence like that. You know, <laughs> reading these writers helped me. I'm I'm four years out of Gonzaga or something. You know, right. So for them to hear, you know, one after another, Langston Hughes, Langston Hughes, Langston Hughes, it begins to turn that argument among largely among people who look like me to say, uh, you know, who say you can't have an American lit class and not read Huck Finn. And I say, you can't have an American lit class and not read Langston Hughes. And you can't require black kids to read the N word over and over and over. You cannot do this. Wow. But that's what the kids at Carroll taught me. You know, like I, there was nothing in my life that would have taught me that uh, except those kids, you know, um, and you just can't, you just can't do that. You know I mean? Just, I just, I, I won't do it. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, you, you just get those discussions, you know, and anyway. Yeah. Have you read, oh, not read, but have you watched the movie Finding Forrester? I did. Yeah. I, and have, I remember it was, was it like Sean a, Connery? Yeah. And like a high school basketball recruit yes. or something? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I remember the, I remember the loving the sound. I think I might've had the CD of the soundtrack or something at one point. <laughs> I don't really remember the story so much, but I, but I do remember it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that movie right there, I need to watch it again, man. I haven't watched Maybe it in years. But you should you should consider, I'm not saying you should, but you should you should con- you should consider allowing your students just watch that. Hmm. I will, yeah. Good. And I think I watched that when I was in high school and I'm yeah. 38. So so that was almost like 20 years ago, and I can remember it still. Um, but in, it inspires me as an African-American to just write, write, write. That's, that's what you walked away from it with. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And to know, and to know the worth of your writing, the value of your, of your art. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and how tell, far tell I can me, take tell, tell me a little bit about yours. Like, so, so do you, so you write as well? You, I'm a, I've learned this term. I'm a page poet. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm not one to want to perform. Um, that is that is work for me. For me, the passion and the desire is in the pen. And mm-hmm. and when I was younger, I was trying to figure out what path to take because all I knew was you have to perform if you want to be a poet. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just knew that just wasn't in my DNA, you know, um, the, the task of committing it to memory and and learn to work the crowd. And it's just was like oh, this part I don't like, you yeah. know. And yeah. so my father, um, he said, well, what if you thought about writing and continue to write, do what you love, but then to partner and match with people who love the stage and you can create poetic productions because Mm -hmm. if you think about the songwriter most songwriters can't sing right it's the it's the rare person who does both of those things right exactly right so so i said oh my goodness you know so so that's what i was doing i was um uh writing to, you know, when Trayvon Martin, when Trayvon Martin, um, that that 
tragic uh, situation came about. Um, I wrote a poem called Who Will Cry for the Little Boy? Mm-hmm. And that stemmed from the movie. Um, I can't remember uh, Denzel Washington's movie. I can't remember the name of it, but but it was a poem called Who Will Cry for the Little Boy? And I and mm-hmm. I catered it to oh, the situation. The Antoine Fisher. Uh, Antoine Fisher. Yes. Boy Called Fish or yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. And, About the and, foster care system, I think. Or exactly. Exactly. And and in that poem, he kept saying, who will cry for the little boy? Yes. And so I I pinned that in relation to what was happening. And as a matter of fact, I actually got the urge and the unction to um, reach out to some rally uh, planners. And I was I was going around the D.C. area actually delivering Hmm. that poem um to roughly 15 rallies man that was when rallies were just going because that was yeah. just crazy that situation and um um that was that was a time where i i felt that i needed to that that needed to be me mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't hand that over i tried you know I, my mom mm-hmm. my family was like no that's that's this one's yours um, but also I, I wrote the obituary poem for every person in my family that has passed. Oh, okay. My grandfather, and, my father, my uncle, you know, and yeah. And that's an important way to be a poet. And I think people forget that, um, you know, nobody has ever said, Hey, uh, Christoph, I'm getting married. Could you write an essay for my reading for my wedding? No one's, no one's ever said that. Yeah. But there are people who write poems for all their families, maybe even births or something too, you know? Yes. Um, but I think that's that's a very important way to be a poet in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Not so I, I maintain my writing through writing haiku now. Oh, nice. Yeah. So if you go to Christoph Writes, you'll see um, on a regular basis, I write haiku. As a matter of fact, I, where's my typewriter? I write haiku on a typewriter. A manual. On a manual typewriter. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I and I print them out on index cards and uh, take a picture of it, post it on my Instagram. Oh, see, I got to see some of this. I also need to hear that poem or see that poem. Oh, it's on. I, I'll share you the link. Um, okay. For those watching and listening, yes, who will cry for the little boy? Yeah. And type in probably also Trayvon Martin. Or, yeah. or even Christoph writes or something like that. But that connection up. almost sounds familiar to me. Like I may have seen that or heard it, but I, regardless, I, I'd like to see it. Yeah, yeah. no, it, um, it was all on the news and everything, you know, not brag or anything. Cause I, but it made a splash. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, People it needed it pretty far. And, um, um, man, I, every time I performed as someone cried in that crowd, man. Yeah. You know, uh, it was one of those. It was one yeah. of those. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I, I get, <clears throat> I get the. Uh, are you afraid of the stage? Are you? Do you have stage fright? And that's what I want to get people to understand again. You know, but I, I thought that too that I had to be on the stage to be a poet. Right, and that's really one of the reasons why this podcast is here is because. I want people to see the many people that come here to show the different ways they do poetry. Yeah. And you know, 
the whole poetry program at Gonzaga, I mean, we have a couple of kids, I, who, I, and I describe it like this, who kind of lean in the spoken word direction, kind of, mm -hmm. but we're mostly on the page. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we have, we call them poetry slams or poetry readings. Sometimes we call them poetry slams. They're not the, you know, uh, points and competition and all that, that the, that it technically a real poetry slam would be. Sure. Um, so it's, it's important. And I, and I, I, I'm, I am also a page poet primarily. Like when somebody calls me for a reading, you know, my cue is if they say we'd like you to perform, I was like, you know, I think I'm a good reader of my poetry. I deliver. Yeah, but I don't really perf like. I just I always right. feel like I at least need to tell them that so that they don't. Sure. Yeah, you know yeah. they don't think. Yeah, the um, the Trayvon Martin thing has got me thinking about a, a poem that I would uh, maybe when we're ready to finish, I could read one poem. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, might be one you would appreciate. And in my second to last book is called Ache, and um, my my uh, introduction to really to activism was a bunch of years ago in like the anti-apartheid movement when I was in uh, grad school and learning about Nelson Mandela and having a, uh, a, 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 a couple of friends who were South African in, in grad school. Uh, and so I wrote a series of poems in, in uh, Nelson Mandela's voice, but having him speak to different people. So there's Nelson Mandela speaks to Tupac Shakur and Nelson Mandela speaks to Mamie Till um, but one that I, it's just a poem that I love. I, Go for um, it. Go Nelson for Mandela it. speaks to Trayvon Martin. Ooh. So if you can imagine that meeting. I walked down Fox Street in Johannesburg at dawn. A light rain darkens my shoes. They scrape against the small stones. I'm standing in the doorway when I see you across the street on the corner looking at me. You wear no hood today. You smile and walk toward me. I smile and wait for you. The day begins here. Coffee and tea stands push back their canvas covers. A whistle sings from the train station. Your arms swing at your sides like only a teenage boy's arms can swing. You look like you might open your mouth to sing. There is no SUV in sight. I'm not sure how to greet you. So I look at your wet, grass-stained shoes, then back at your 17-year-old face, and I say, come in, get out of the rain. Wow. See, that's what I love about poetry and its diversity. Mm. Because the strength of that poem was the silence Hmm. Right, it, the spaces the, and the spaces, the strategic pauses, and the 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 no need for all, you know. Oh yeah, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But we we love that, and there's a space for that. The spoken for sure. word, the right, the performance. Yeah. But what you did was delivery. Mm, okay. It was you you delivered you didn't recite it. Yeah. You delivered it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I hope that makes sense. And I um that's good. Yeah. Well thank you. Um I think that, you know, his death 
uh, his murder and the acquittal of his murderer, I think that, you know, that was as important in my education as any master's degree, <laughs> you know, um, and, th and that was a, like the through line for the last half of the time, probably that I was at Carroll, you know, was helping those, was this, it wasn't helping those students do anything. It was listening to them process what they were seeing mm. uh, because, you know, they, they could study Emmett Till in history class. They could, you know, they knew Dr. King was assassinated. They knew what lynchings were. They knew what slavery was obviously, but this was now, you know, this was on their television when they went home, you know, Right. Um, you gave them space and an environment to process it. Well, and, and they, and they, they, they gave me, they sort of privilege, they gave me the gift of being able to be beside them or to be amongst them when they did. And that's something that I, you know, there's no, there's no tuition for that. I mean, that's a, that's a great gift. What was the name of that poem? Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela speaks to Trayvon Martin. And how many of those type poems do you have? There are about five of them, I think. Um, the first one is um, uh, Nelson Mandela speaks to, um, I don't know if you know the, uh, I'm going to forget the, the Sharpville massacre or the, no, the Soweto school strike where they right. just shot and, you know, kids ran out of schools because they didn't want to have to be taught in Afrikaans. And um, Hector Peterson was like the first kid killed in that mess. So the first one is Mandela speaks to him. Then there's Mandela speaks to Mamie Till, to Tupac Shakur, and then to Trayvon Martin. Yeah. So some of it's, you know, trying to do the history, you know, people of different times, what would they yeah. say? What would he say to them? You know, um, I think that stuff's really interesting. I, I always think those encounters that couldn't have happened are yeah. sort of, are, are interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of poet, um, page poets are, able to they they have the capability of speaking in other people's voices yeah i can do that i can i can speak in a woman's voice hmm. as it relates to, to to poetry and uh all i need to know what the story is i just 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 matter of fact just we literally can sit here and we record you talking and i can translate what you have just told me through through poetry. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. one, because you listen probably. Right. And it's also, I think it's the function of empathy, which is something that writing can teach and reading can teach. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, there are some, some parts of the poetry world who would say uh, we shouldn't do that. You know, the, uh, the, my book on King or of poems about King, lots of them are in his voice. And there are a whole lot of people who are not comfortable with someone who looks like me writing in the voice of Dr. King. Um, and, you know, I, I understand some of it. I obviously, you know, in the end, I made it the choice to go ahead and do it. Sure. But I, there are, I think you have to be careful with that stuff there. You have to know what you, you have to, you know, you can't be disrespectful, I think, but you, sure. sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think you're right. I think it's uh, if somebody listens carefully and has empathy, I hope they can do it. Yeah. 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 Um, one of my close friends um, was diagnosed with sarcoma cancer at the age of 18. Hmm. And he fought for seven years and passed in uh, 2011 
if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And um, and after he passed, I had I sat down with his mom, uh, and she she gave me the green light to write the obituary poem. Oh wow! Yeah, and I and I and I, I just said, you know, um, I have to ask you to do something very hard, and that is to just talk about your son. Mm-hmm. And I just let her pour out and talk, and I and I had a a recorder just so I could remember the things that she was saying. Sure, sure. And and I just used her words to um, write a poem in his voice. Hmm. So so, but I I knew him, but I didn't know him through his mother's eyes. Sure. Right. So I, now you, I know him even better. Yeah. Yeah. And so you wrote a poem in his voice. And did you read that at the, at the service or you just, yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. I bet that was powerful for everyone. Indeed. And that actually inspired a nonprofit that I started called Fighting Cancer with Poetry. Oh, I saw some pictures about that on your, yeah. Or maybe yeah. there was a previous podcast about it or something, mm-hmm. but yeah. 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 Well, good yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. man. So that's 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 what poetry does. And again, what we saw at the inauguration, you know, to to have a 22 year old African-American young lady stand up there right before the benediction and make you forget everything about what happened (laughs) prior to was just in with poetry. Right. Right. And if if poets would understand what the skill of poetry is, it is it is it's more than just the word poetry. We got to get past we got to get past just oh it's poetry. Yeah. Right. It is knowing how to manipulate and um, leverage words. Yeah. And not everybody can do that. No. And what I often say in the, the f- phrase of hers that I really loved is she used the, uh, when, when poets are best, I think is when they use, I always go like this, the students laugh at me, but I say, I know what you're talking about. What it's a literal, saying? it's a literal myth. She talked about, she used the phrase, we need to compose a country. Well, you can't compose a country, right? Like in an essay, that's wrong, but in a poem that works. And it's, in a song, and a song, it could work too. Yeah. But I just, I thought that was like this literal miss, but this, you know, in poetry, that's like, that's the win. That's the victory. Um, and her last two lines, I'm trying to remember, um, you know, there's always light if we have the strength to see it, to see it. if we have the strength to, be, to it. be it. Yeah. And I'm not always a great fan of rhyme, but that was a slam dunk. But see, when, when rhyme is done like that it works every time because it wasn't there for its own sake that's what i sort of think see it like the core of that was about being it um you have to see it before you can be it but those those two things both mean something what i what i think sometimes people do with rhyme is they just make something rhyme so that it rhymes right as if the poem is there to serve the rhyme. Exactly. But that rhyme served the poem. And that was amazing. Yeah. The play on words. And I can't remember the exact line, but she said, um, 
just is and then yeah. say just is justice. Yeah. I was like, oh, and I got to go back to remember what that line was. But yeah. that's what I remember. I was like, oh, I think yeah. that went past some, some folks. That's yeah. Yeah, he's- and the challenge in a poem like hers, or you know, or in a in a the context of hers, is that most people are not going to read that poem; they're only going to hear it. So it has to have a kind of a simplicity. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be super complicated um, yeah. because it's just flying past your ear. You know? Right, right. And she she mastered the moment. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, but she also treated it like a speech as well. Mm-hmm. It was very speech-ish, but but embedded solely in poetry. You know, she gave the articulation as if it was a speech. And but the beginning, and we're gonna make this whole podcast about her poem, <laughs> but the beginning, and I think I don't think a lot of people caught it where she was where she was honoring those there when she was naming the people there where she said, Dr. Biden. And yeah. Right. Yeah. I was like, she knows what she's doing. She, she knew the landscape. I mean, she, I think she went to Harvard. So, you know, it's not her first time. It's not her first rodeo. Exactly. Basically respect these women. She's Dr. Biden. Right. (laughs) Right. She's not just, First Lady, right? Biden. She's right. Doctor. Yeah, that's man. The you Wall have, Street Journal should have been ashamed of themselves for even publishing that letter or that or that essay that that guy wrote. I mean, that was just it was, was clickbait. Was I think. What's that? The, what was the letter? The guy that made fun of it said said that she shouldn't use doctor since she's not a physician. What? Yeah, it the it, it originated in. Uh, a guy wrote an, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal some weeks ago saying that it was silly for her to use doctor in her title uh, because she's not a physician, even though, you know, she has an EDD, which is a doctorate. Um, as if we don't call, you know, somebody who has a doctorate in engineering, we don't call that person doctor, you know. they. I just think yeah, it, was, it was shameful. The guy even in the same essay, he, he referred to her as kiddo. He said, kiddo, you shouldn't. It was just completely demeaning. That was purposely. That was intentionally. That, Absolutely. And, and, and for, for the publication. The Wall Street Journal editorial that. page, it was, it was, they should have been ashamed of themselves. That's what I mean when I say I think it was just clickbait. Like they thought, well, we're going we're gonna to publish something that everybody's going to make their heads explode and it'll give us a bunch of publicity. But that's wow, Joseph. Man, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much for coming on and having yeah. a conversation with me. I told you this wasn't going to be. You sure did. <laughs> this, was a, this was just a cool conversation. It was. I'm very grateful to you. Love and makes an impact in this world, and um, it Thanks. it obviously is the purpose for you. Yeah obviously. And I'm sure everybody listening and watching is like, he's doing what he was made to, to do here on this earth. Yeah. And we really appreciate it because I, I know for sure, just speaking from my perspective that you are making a huge impact on 
those students because I started writing in first grade because my first grade teacher assigned an assignment where we had to create a poetry book. Hmm. Notice I said the word create, not mm-hmm. just write. We had to create the binding. Oh, nice. And and put the paper, staple the paper paper in, write the copyright, uh, the copyright section. First grade. Yeah. yeah. Good. Right. Good. And I don't so know what that is, but but you know, I'm 38 now. That was that was first grade. That was fifth uh five, six year old. Yeah. You know, so just imagine that and, yeah. just imagine the 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 confidence you're giving your students. I hope so. Thank you. It's uh it's usually a two way street as as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. If yeah. you could leave something with the people, man, what would you say? Oh man. Um uh buy a book of poetry, mm. read it, and then give it away. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Take Pay it, it for it. That's right. Yeah. Indeed. And then buy another one. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it going. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. It's the Poet Life Podcast with Christoph Wright and Joseph Ross. Go follow him on Instagram at Trail Runner Writer. It is three words spelt straight out. Trail Runner Writer for those listening and can't see the screen. Uh, we truly appreciate you all listening and, and watching. I'm sure you got a lot from it. Um, what's the name of your book? Raising King. Raising King. King. Yeah. Awesome. And if they go to josephross.net, uh, there's they can find find ways to get it if they if they're so inclined. Go yep. there right now, josephross.net and check out what he has Thank going you. on. He's at Gonzaga in DC. Um Gonzaga's known, so you can Google Gonzaga in DC, it'll come up. Yes, um, it will. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Thank you so much. Uh truly had a great time. It's the Poet Life Podcast. Everybody, good night. Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Mm-hmm.